Jason Scores, and welcome to another episode of Dispatch from the Zombie Apocalypse. I hope everybody is doing great with June in effect here and the summer coming on. Definitely my favorite time of year. Hoping you all will get some time to take your mind off the madness, escape the zombie hordes, and uh, get some good R&R somewhere lovely, whether that's your backyard, the park near your house, favorite restaurant, or a more fancy destination. For today's episode, uh, I'm going to talk about Nancy Pelosi and why I think she is great and largely unfairly criticized. I'm going to talk about why the right hates her. I'm going to talk about her accomplishments And I'm going to talk about the really difficult position she's in with respect to impeachment, which I know is giving many Democrats heartburn. But I think when you take a step back is understandable. And I think we should give her some time to figure out where she wants to take all of this. So the first point I want to mention here is she is the only things standing between us and a descent into authoritarianism in the United States. She is the, you know, the leader of the House of Representatives, which is the only lever of government that is functioning. Mitch McConnell is an evil comic book villain who would sell his own mother for power. There is no norm or ethic that he won't violate to to cement right-wing supremacy, white supremacy, which are essentially the same things uh, at the highest levels of government. He's not interested in actually doing anything for the American people. He just wants to give all power to corporations, the war machine, and tax cuts to the rich, and crazy lunatic judges who will have lifetime appointments. So he is uh, out there on the other chamber. And of course, the Trump administration is despicable and deplorable at every level. And so she is the only thing right now that's actually functioning in a decent capacity. And we'll talk about what she's doing with that power that she has a little later in the episode. But it's first just important to talk about why the right wing hates her, right? And they really do hate her. And she is, she represents everything they hate, which is a strong woman, a strong liberal woman based in California. She is everything they are not. She is smart. She has principles. She has integrity. And she gets stuff done. And remember, that's really the right wing movement, the conservative movement in America is, I know you are, but what am I uh, with, you know, 50 year old plus white men. And she represents success and real accomplishments, everything that they lack. She gets stuff done. And it's really important to to underscore that she is a strong woman who doesn't support the Christian patriarchy, right? She wants strong, diverse, liberal women 
to reach the highest levels of power throughout American society, and she is using her power to help enable that. Again, if you're a Sarah Palin, if you're an idiot who supports Christian patriarchy, they will elevate you and praise you to the highest levels. But if you're a strong, independent woman who does not support the Christian patriarchy, they hate you. Uh, She has owned Trump in all of her interactions. She is one of the only people that Trump has not been able to get under their skin and get the better of you know, the name calling and the argumentation, Trump has gotten owned by Nancy Pelosi, right? He doesn't know what to do with her because she's unflappable. She, again, she has integrity. She understands her place. She's been in government for decades. She understands the power that she has, and she's not intimidated by this toddler in chief. And because of that, the right wing has nothing on her. Right? They can't use facts and reason and real arguments against her. So what have they done recently? They've doctored a video. She gave a speech at the Center for American Progress a couple weeks ago. They doctored this video to slow it down to make her look like she's slurring her speech, that she's drunk. And then, of course, the usual, the usual suspects on the right, including the president and many of his minions, have spread this virally through Twitter and Facebook to show that, you know, in their view that Nancy Pelosi's crazy, but this is literally fake news. So again, that I know you are, what, but what am I? The projection, they are the ones creating fake news, literally fake doctored video because they want to make Nancy Pelosi look bad. This is how pathetic the right wing is. They have nothing, so they must rely on lies and cheating and propaganda. Now, a little caveat that I want to throw in here is that Facebook has refused to take down this video. So Facebook, which has come under lots of rightful criticism for really harming democracy and you know being a platform to spread all of this nonsense, they've said that this is basically you know a comedy, a kind of free speech issue, and it doesn't you know fall under the kind of that the the fake news hate speech that they typically take down. This is just straight up bullshit, right? This is just another example of Facebook being straight up evil. I'll, I'll say it again. I've said it many times. Facebook is evil. I really think everyone should delete their Facebook account. They're just getting tons of money. Facebook, a lot of their money, their ad revenue, their 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 FaceTime and kind of you know their clickbait is from right-wing propaganda and as long as they can make money off of it they don't give a shit about democracy they don't give a shit about truth they don't give a shit about propaganda they're just in it for the money and they just show it time and time again because if this was there was ever a clearer example of just fake news meant to distort our democracy it was this and yet they refused to take it down So I want to end this segment by really calling out Facebook and urging you, if you haven't already, to delete your Facebook account, as I have, and to urge others to as well. So after the break, I'll come back and talk about Nancy Pelosi's accomplishments. Yes, you are. 
Okay, so let's talk about Nancy Pelosi's accomplishments, which are really some of the greatest of any Speaker of the House in the last half century. They really need to be kind of heralded and held up for, for what they are, which is quite extraordinary. Now, I want to caveat this by saying I know a lot of people are disappointed and were disappointed by what uh, President Obama was able to accomplish in the eight years that he was president. But just remember that for six of those eight years from and really, you know, if you look at the fact that most people don't legislate too much right before the midterms, it was really, you know, only a year and a half. So it was really six and a half years in which the Republicans controlled either the Senate or the House and obstructed everything. And so really it was about a year and a half. It was that kind of 2009 to the first half of 2010 when the Democrats could actually govern. And I want to talk about what was accomplished then. A lot of this, again, with Nancy Pelosi at the helm. The first is obviously the stimulus bill. We were in a massive recession, you know, that was threatening to turn into a second Great Depression. And we passed a massive almost $1 trillion stimulus bill. Uh, some people to this day think it was too small, and that's probably true. But it was still um, the biggest stimulus package in U.S. history. And notably, it included the biggest uh, research and development investments in green uh, power and energy and environmental uh, R&D in the nation's history. All of the stimulus money that was into green R&D was more money than had been spent by the federal government on green energy in, in all of U.S. history combined up until that point. So let me just reiterate that. Nancy Pelosi helped herald and usher through a stimulus package that put more money into green research and development, energy, R&D, clean power than the federal government had put you know, together in all of its history up until that point. A lot of the huge innovations in Tesla solar power and in the, the, the cheap price of wind and solar, a lot of that comes from this stimulus money. Of course, it was bigger than that. China's put in tons of money, Germany, EU nations. But that was the biggest to date of the U.S. government. Obviously, the Affordable Care Act. People forget this was very contentious. And, you know, the, the economy was still tanking while the, the Congress was debating the Affordable Care Act. And unlike the unprincipled and just, you know, ridiculous Republican Party that threw together, you know, a repeal bill to take away people's health care in a couple months without detailed hearings and serious analysis. The Democrats, with Nancy Pelosi's leadership, put a year of work, a solid year of what a real governing party does in hearings and testimony and expert evidence. And she passed it. And this was very, very contentious at the time. Again, it wasn't as, uh, you know, as, as liberal as many would have liked. But Nancy Pelosi passed many liberal parts of the bill that were then stripped out by the much more conservative Senate. She put in things there, you know, that were much more towards the public option and much more liberal subsidies for the, uh, you know, for lower income people. So the, the more conservative aspects of the ACA really came from the Senate. She passed as liberal a health care bill as we could at that point. And again, that's now become law and is, has really helped tens of millions of people. She also passed the Dodd-Frank bill. 
which again was uh, you know was was passed in the Senate, but Barney Frank in the House helped that, and that was the biggest you know Wall Street regulation of the last twenty years, and she ushered that in again with Barney Frank, who was really the leader of this effort, made that pretty pretty strong. The cap and trade bill that she passed that would that fell apart in the Senate, people don't realize this cap and trade. You know, huge climate progress was passed in the House of Representatives and her her, you know, members who that was a tough vote because the Republicans demonized this. They saw called a cap and tax and big government. And, you know, that's when they started calling climate change a hoax. She knew that there was a high probability that this would fail in the Senate and so that the people who voted for it would get no benefit. Right. There no one was going to remember it. The Republicans were going to attack them for voting for it and then it wasn't even going to pass and yet she did it she got this through and a lot of those members took huge hits and lost and this is part of what helped you know john boehner and then paul ryan take over the house in the subsequent years these were tough votes and she she got them through cap and pay cap and trade passed the house of representatives and and i think it was 2000 end of 2009 but it might have been early 2010 and it didn't come up for a vote in the Senate because of the filibuster. In any sane democracy where majority rules, we had 55 senators to vote for it and it would have passed. But again, because of the, the structures in the U.S. system that really favor uh, the minority rule from you know, the, the, the legacy of white supremacy, blocked that. The, the, uh, the, the one thing to keep in mind with all this stuff that she was able to do is that the, the discipline to keep the caucus together when, the, remember, this is when the Tea Party was coming up and, you know, people were looking at the Democrats were going to get routed and people wanted people to be cautious. And she said, look, we have political capital. Let's use it. Let's do things for the American people. And she got the, the Democrats to stick together. It's much harder to keep the Democratic caucus together than the Republicans. The Democrats are, you know, everything from kind of almost center right to strong liberal progressive. And it's hard to, you know, to, to herd those cats. The Republican Party is much more white male Christian and much, you know, much more hierarchical system. And so she gets deserves a lot of credit for for keeping people together in those in those tough years. Again, when there was massive recession and a. You know, people were telling her and, and Obama, stick to the economy, stick to just getting us out of the depression. Don't do things like environmental policy or health care, etc. But she ignored that, rightly so, and, and passed really significant policy that, you know, now that we're in this, you know, zombie apocalypse of the Trump era, who knows again when we're going to get a chance to pass good, solid po policy for the American people. I want to also point out that she, she hasn't stopped passing good policy. You know, we're not going to see any of this become law with Mitch McConnell and Agent Orange as president. But in this session that she just, you know, has started in, in 2019, she passed H.R. 1, the first bill I've spoken about this before, was a massive voting rights expansion bill to protect voting rights, to expand voting rights, to make it easier for people to, to vote. And this is exactly what good leadership looks like. She didn't come out with a bread and butter issue of, you know, tax cuts for the middle class or expand health care even more or daycare or universal, you know, preschool. She came out with structural voting rights stuff, amazing stuff that hasn't been done since the 1960s. 
It's really a shame that the Democrats didn't pass this, you know, in 2009, but she passed it. The caucus got behind it. And of course, Mitch McConnell, the villain that he is, called it a power grab. Think about this. This tells you everything you need to know about the uh, the Republican Party, that expanding voting rights and making it easier for people to vote is called a power grab, right? That's the disdain that they show for true democracy. So I want to end this session by saying there's definitely plenty to criticize about Nancy Pelosi. I'm not saying she's a saint. Nobody is. And, and we shouldn't look to saviors. But we can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. She did incredible stuff, and she really deserves our praise. So when I come back after the break, we'll talk about you know the the case for impeachment that she's grappling with, which is which is quite quite difficult. Peace, my Nubian brothers. Peace. Hey yo, knowledge this. We came here to do one thing, uh-huh. and this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna drop the bomb. to the difficult part of the conversation, which is Nancy Pelosi's stance on impeachment. And she's come under a lot of criticism for kind of waffling and not really initiating what I think the base of the Democratic Party wants and what is for the good of the country, which is to begin impeachment proceedings against the criminal president that we currently have. And the case for impeachment, as I've uh, laid out after reading a lot of the Mueller report and listening to very astute uh, legal scholars, is unambiguous. President Trump deserves to be impeached. He's a criminal. And there are many, many reasons that are entirely legitimate for impeaching him. And I think the impeachment proceedings would show clear evidence uh, that the Democrats would be right to proceed. Of course, the cowards in the Republican Party would probably fight this, and the Senate would be very unlikely to convict unless some more incredibly damning evidence came out. But I don't think that would happen. I think literally Trump could have sex with Putin on the White House lawn, and the Republicans would somehow twist that around that that was a good thing. So so the first thing I want to point out here is that Nancy Pelosi is in a very tough bind, right? It's it's easy for us to play armchair quarterback and say, well, look, the evidence is in. It's her constitutional duty. But she, you know, has other considerations, right? She is running a bunch of investigations into the president's conduct right now. I think her strategy here is she thinks that a lot of these investigations into his finances to other illegal activity that he's doing will uncover a lot that is damaging to the president and will weaken him even further. I think she fears, I think wrongly, but I think she fears that this will only, it'll distract voters from kind of the the bread and butter issues that she wants to focus on. It will kind of 
strengthen more strengthen his base. The reason I think this is wrong is because I don't think the base can get any stronger. They're literally insane. And if you're, you know, if you're in his camp at this point, two years in, there's nothing that's going to happen that's going to strengthen that base more. And I don't think it would grow his base. I don't think an impeachment proceedings and, and laying out the evidence for why he's a criminal and unfit to be president would increase people sympathetic to him. So I think her calculus on this is wrong, but I understand why she's thinking this way. And I understand why she thinks, look, let's let these investigations go on. They're going to weaken Trump further. And since the, the Senate is not going to convict, she thinks this would be a bad precedent because we would have all the, you know, the evidence laid out. We would impeach him. And then the Senate would say, sorry, we don't want to convict him. And that would, you know, that would muddy, muddy the waters even um, further. I think she's rightfully probably upset with Robert Mueller for putting her in this bind because Robert Mueller could have been much clearer and just said, look, we don't believe that we can indict the president because of Department of Justice guidelines. But if, if the president was a common citizen or anybody besides the president, we would indict him. Here's the, the charges that are ready to go if the Congress wants to proceed or if he becomes a civilian you know, next, um, you know, uh, in 2021, and anyone wants to go and press these charges against him, here they are. We think it's criminal conduct. We just can't proceed uh, because he's the president. That would have been the right thing to do. I do think Mueller has been tried to have it both ways, and he's being too cute by half. And so it's put Pelosi in a difficult position. So I don't think that she should be, you know, spared criticism. She is a public official, and it's entirely legitimate to, 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 to criticize her. I just think right now we should trust her judgment and see how she proceeds. There's a lot more time on the clock here. Obviously, it, every day that President Trump is president is a, a danger to the country, and he's doing incredible damage. But this is the, the tough position that, that you know we are in, not because of anything Nancy Pelosi did, but because not an insufficient number of Americans saw that the choice between President Trump and Clinton was clear that president it shouldn't have been a, a president it should have been a Hillary Clinton administration but they didn't make the that that call and too many people stayed home and we have President Trump and she's dealing with the mess and and unfortunately the Democratic Party you know we're we seem to be the ones who clean up Republican messes we get eight years of destruction under George Bush and we come in and clean that up and it looks like unfortunately now we got to clean up hopefully only four years of President Trump and not eight years um, but I think Nancy Pelosi has earned our trust not indefinitely not forever again she's not perfect she's not a savior she's not a saint but I think she's earned enough of our trust that let's give her the benefit of the doubt at least for the time being and see where she takes this see how the investigations go if in a few months it seems like the you know she's still waffling and impeachment really needs to proceed, I will be the first you know among the Democrats to, to to urge her to do that. And being a California citizen, I will be calling her office and and doing so. But I think we should give her the benefit of the doubt at least for the next couple months and see how things play out. So after the break, we'll come back with the the final thoughts on the antidote for today. The reason why 
Okay, so my antidote for today's episode will be brief. And so the, the, the first thing I want to point out here is that I think it's absolutely fine to critique Democratic leaders, but just realize that they're on our team, right? They're working in our interests. And again, they are the same team. They deserve our support, even if you don't like them. And you're not going to like them all the time. That's part of being in a multicultural, multi-ethnic democracy of 350 million people. Again, let's not put the perfect as the enemy of the good here. They are the only things, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, the Democratic leaders, the only thing standing between us and straight up Christian theocracy and fascism, literally. Remember, the Republican Party sees The Handmaid's Tale and they think that's an instruction manual, okay? And look what they're doing. If you don't believe me, look what they're doing in Louisiana, Missouri, Alabama, Georgia, right? This is the world they want. They're showing us what they want with the power that they have. They want tax cuts for the rich, trash the environment, hate on brown people, take away women's rights and go back to the Middle Ages, right? They're showing us what they want. So Nancy Pelosi and the Democratic leadership is the only thing standing in the way. So let's remember... Let's criticize them, but not to the point where we don't support them, right? They are our friends. They are our allies, right? And so we must, must unite and strengthen the Democratic Party and be in this for the long game. Long game. And Pelosi has been in it for the long term. She is a warrior. She has spent decades fighting. She has the battle scars, and she deserves our respect. And the final point I just again want to mention is delete your Facebook account. What they are, the, their treatment of Nancy Pelosi and this doctored video is disgraceful and just shows them for being the money-grubbing, greedy bastards that they are who do not deserve um, our loyalty. So I know it's hard to get off Facebook, but do it. Go on LinkedIn. Go on a platform where they're not that craven, and uh, you'll feel a lot better. And again, you really won't miss Facebook. I, I deleted it. And I, I haven't missed it for a second. In fact, I'm, I feel a lot better that I'm not on that horrible platform wasting my time anymore. So with that, everybody, if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it with your family, friends, and colleagues. Subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or Stitcher. And with that, everybody, have a great rest of the week. Take care.